This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Nan Lin. Nan is a real estate investor based here in the Bay Area, and this episode, Nan will tell us how he started investing in real estate and how he started creating his enormous portfolio up in Sacramento. Nan started from very humble beginnings, starting as a cold caller for a loan officer before eventually transitioning into becoming a full-time real estate investor. And so in this episode, we're gonna learn how to create an investment portfolio, how to make sure you manage your risks, and how to create teams so that you can get a small piece of the pie for every business that you're a part of. I'm super excited to have him on the show, and I'm sure you guys will definitely enjoy this episode as well. If you're new to this podcast, welcome to the show. If you thought it was informative and engaging, consider subscribing to the podcast. We release episodes every Wednesday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. This episode is sponsored by Conventus Lending. Conventus is a hard money lending company based in the Bay Area and has funded over $2 billion over the past few years. We offer competitive rates and amazing service. And for being an Everything Real Estate Investing Show listener, you'll get a discount on your processing fee. So whether you're looking for a bridge loan for your next fix and flip project, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan on an investment property, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get the process started. All right, Nan, we're super excited to have you on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. All right, what's going on, Sean? Hey, hey everyone, my name is Nan Lin. Uh, I'm a real estate investor. My company is Kaizen Capital. I'm part owner in GTC Brokerage. So I've been, uh, I've been in real estate for about, let me see, 15 years now. Uh, but for a big part of that 15 years, about 10 of those years, I was a very passive investor. And just recently in the most, uh, in the past five years, I became very serious and really just dialed in on becoming a serious investor. That's awesome. So go ahead and tell yeah. us your story from going from, you know, a regular Joe who doesn't know anything about real estate investing to becoming a very serious investor. Okay. So while I was younger, I worked in the real estate industry. Uh, this was before the market crashed in 2008. Um, I started as a cold caller. Okay. So I was a young kid who wanted to get in real estate. I knew people in real estate made a lot of money. Uh, and then I would get a stack of papers dropped off on my desk every morning. You know, I work from like nine to nine. And uh, my job is to call people and solicit loans. So I didn't know what they were, but uh, they were just like, all right, get people to refinance, get people to purchase, get people to sell, do whatever you got to do, get people on the phone and get them talking. So that was my initial duty. And it was the bottom, bottom of the barrel, horrible experience uh, about, you know, looking back on hindsight, it's probably one of the best experiences because uh, if you can get through a job like that, you can pretty much do anything in life. Uh, long story short, I was cold caller. I was very good at it. Over time, I became a, a loan officer. So I started pitching people loans. Uh, and then the market crashed. I had to run back to my mother to borrow money for rent uh, because suddenly I have no more work to do and I didn't have income coming in. Uh, you fast forward about, I think maybe five, six years, I made enough money to buy my first uh, investment property. Now, keep in mind, if you're a realtor or you're a mortgage broker or anybody dealing with the real estate industry, but let's just say you are not specifically a real estate investor, Investing can be a very alien topic in this real estate world, right? Because you can be a realtor. It doesn't mean you could be a good investor. 
you know, I was a loan officer, but I didn't have, I didn't have much knowledge on investing, but I knew that real estate is an industry that I want to get into because real estate appreciated it, your NESEG, your capital, if correctly. And so I knew I want to get into it. So you fast forward, you know, five, six years, I bought my first property in cash. It was $87,000 in Sacramento and it was a three bedroom, uh, one bathroom house. And I remember this specifically because the house that I bought actually had an illegal addition in the back that made it look bigger. Uh, and you know, I got into it not knowing about appreciation. I just wanted to safeguard my capital. Does that make sense? And so over time I acquire more and more real estate. Uh, and eventually I believe there was a split in the road. I was doing many things and uh, a partner, a business partner of mine really screwed me. I'm talking about like a lot of money to me back then. Uh, uh, he screwed me. I, long story short, I sued him. He lost. Uh, the bank gave me a judgment, which means that I can go collect this money from him, right? But the guy didn't have any money. And it was at this time, you know, I'm into my like mid 20s, late 20s. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I can't make any more mistakes like this because if I do, I'm going to be in my 30s and my time is running out, you know? So I, I sat down and said, all right, let's figure out what we're going to do here because we have to make the right decision and choose the right option moving forward. Again, time is limited, right? You're, you make your mistakes in your 20s. Uh, excuse my French, you go balls out in your 20s. And I believe in your 30s is really time to build. So I need to pick something for me to really build in my 30s. And I was analyzing my options. At the end of the day, I'm like, man, I had real estate. Real estate has been here the entire time. Uh, it has never failed. You know, knock on wood, never failed me. And, uh, you know, it paid me pass, passive income this entire time. I'm testing out different ventures, doing different businesses. And this is one thing that has always been there supporting me uh, through my entire journey. And so I said, all right, uh, you know, God, please give me a sign. <laughs> you know, I'm like, higher power, give me a sign if this is the direction I'm supposed to go into, or am I supposed to still be a passive investor and look into other options of making money and, you know, still buy real estate on a passive basis. Uh, and I remember I was looking to, I was looking at becoming a police officer because, you know, as an individual, I feel like I'm the protector type. You know, I like to protect my friends. I like to protect my family. Uh, and I felt that, you know, becoming a police officer, I'm going to be physically fit. Uh, I'm going to have ability uh, above the average individual to protect the people around me. At the same time, uh, income in, you know, you're talking about the Bay Area as a police officer is uh, in the six figures. You do overtimes, high sixes or you know, multiple six figures, which is decent. Uh, so I was going that route. And then. As I was making this decision, I said, this year I need to know where I'm going, right? Either full-time investor or like police officer, get a job, uh, do something where I can make multiple six figures and invest in real estate at the same time, okay? And so uh, something happened. Some guy kicked my car. This was uh, in downtown San Mateo. I was driving with my friend. Uh, or my friend had a friend in the passenger seat had a really loud uh, sports car. And I remember this guy was just screaming profanities at me. Long story short, we came to an intersection and I was making a left turn. And this guy's been walking parallel on my left side the entire time. 
long story short, waited for everybody to cross the walkway. He was the last person there standing, pointing at me, you know, essentially cussing me out. And I'm like, keep on going. Um, but as he proceeded to pass my car and I drove forward, he turned around, just kicks uh, my car. My car is a you know, six-figure car. And I remember getting out and I'm like, you know, this is, I got to talk to this guy. So I walked up to him as I was walking up to him, his hand like kind of reached out and I perceived that as a threat. So I was defending myself and we got into a fight, long story short. And then this is all documented. If you Google online, you can find the video, you can find the video, you can find an article on this. It's pretty intense. I think uh, globally we racked up more than like 20 million views or something like that on the video on different platforms. Uh, when that happened, okay, that was significant because that completely just uh, threw my chances out of becoming any type of peace officer because I got into an altercation in public uh, with people. I mean, like, it was just not called for. So while I was headed towards the peace officer direction, this had happened. So that just completely went out the window, that option. Okay. So now I'm left with, I'm like, all right, well, I asked for a sign, there goes the sign. <laughs> I'm defaulted to really focus on real estate because to me, I'm like, okay, show, I'm like, I need a sign. Am I going this direction or that direction? Uh, you know, high six paying jobs or are we going towards the investment? And so when that happened, I was forced to really look into investments and say, all right, well, let's look at my portfolio right now. Uh, let's take a look at uh, what's happening and that, what are my options? So from that point forward, uh, it just really lit a fire under me and I aggressively grew my portfolio in the past, you know, few years. I would say the entire time that I aggressively focused on real estate was five. That fight happened about like two years ago and then that just dialed it up even more. And so at this point, yeah. So th that's how I really became a full-time real estate investor. That's crazy. Why did the guy pick a fight with you in the first place? My car. Okay. So after everything said and done, he said that my exhaust was extremely loud. When I read my car, it scared him and I scared his family. And then so uh, that escalated to him, uh, you know, calling me names. He was saying, asking me if I was homosexual because of the male passenger. Uh, I don't know if it was like racial driven, but I felt like it was, you know, you see some Asian kid, uh, in a very nice car uh, it just doesn't sit well with some people i see got it so then yeah you got into a fight and then that kind of shut down that door to be a police right. officer so it was like oh i guess i am going to real estate full-time full-time yeah what Zero. were what did you do after that like what was your investing strategy going forward okay so you know i've held real estate for a very long time uh, i'm very conservative investor initially i was so conservative that i bought real estate in cash right i'm like what is the one way where I, I'm not going to lose my money. And then that's buying properties in cash, renting out for a small cash flow, uh, and then just sit there and collect money, right? And I knew that properties that I held started appreciating. Uh, some of the, you know, the first property I bought for $87,000, I think we might have a package, but the first property I bought for $87,000 that ended up selling for uh, $230,000. And then that was just one of the properties I own. So I'm like, holy, you know, these properties are appreciating like crazy. So across my holdings, you know, I have a good amount of holdings. What, what am I going to do? When I started to invest, I had 100% equity. And I started leveraging, I'm like 50% equity. 
and I went down to 40% equity and then like 30, 35 in between there. Uh, so one thing I did right off the bat was to leverage off of my uh, equity pretty hard so that I can't acquire other properties, right? And then initially my strategy was cash flow uh, because I didn't know anything else. So it was to leverage my money, buy more properties, cash flow on properties, and then let's cash flow these guys and then we'll still have some appreciation across all the different properties. And then what I discovered, uh, and I started putting, you know, and I started putting pieces of puzzles together. So for example, I figured out that by increasing the rents on these multifamily units, I forcibly increased the value of the property. Right. And then, so the first, my first test subject was a fourplex. Uh, I bought for $200,000. I put $40,000 in for renovations. Uh, and then I ended up selling it for, I believe, $400,000. $400, and all I did was I increased rents from, I believe, when I bought it, it was like $450 or $500 a month per unit in rents. I increased it to, I think it was at the time, anywhere between $750 to $900 per unit. All right? And then so when I sold $400, I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I could just increase the NOI and then forcefully increase the value of the property and I can make some money that way. And then so my investment strategy from that point forward was to buy multi-families uh, that have subpar rents, uh, that have value add opportunities where I can go in, increase the rents and then sell the property to a new investor. And I found that to be very successful because now I'm not competing with your mom and pop investor. Most of those people, they will get into a single family home or undervalue single family home, renovate it, sell it for a profit, correct? That's what majority of people think real estate investment is. And that's what majority of people do. But on that front, you know, you're competing. There's so many factors that you're gonna compete with other people. You're talking about like material cost, market. Does the market support your evaluation? These are things that like, I feel that is very, uh, linear is like very uh, one dimensional when you start getting to multi-families and you're increasing rents on every single unit and then you're rehabbing them a lot of times people don't know how to do that because there are a certain level of operational needs and operational capacity that you need to hit in order to pull something off like that right you can't it's not a one-man show uh, and then i'm buying these properties these are like C-class properties, right? If you go to some of these properties, they look like war zones. Uh, if you look at my Instagram, I posted a picture a couple of days ago. There was a car with two doors missing. There was another car with all four rims gone. There was a flipped over motorcycle on this, on this, on this property, okay? It just looks like the zombie apocalypse have hit. And then it has hit this property pretty hard. But the, like that's the type of properties I'm dealing with. But the thing is, those type of property have such high upside. Uh, my most recent project I did about, my return was 150% net. And then it took me about two years because, uh, you know, operations was not 100% smooth and I was still testing out companies. Uh, but it took me two years, 150%, was 75% annualized, which is still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, considering that I didn't lift a single finger working on the property, right? Everything was just, I either outsourced or I hired uh, in-house people to do the work. Uh, but essentially, uh, the idea was to increase the ROI, sell it to a new investor. And over time, I kind of assembled uh, the entire team 
where I can make percentages from every single move I make. I'll give you an example. I partnered with a brokerage, uh, a boutique brokerage in Sacramento. Uh, they broker loans. Uh, they also facilitate purchase and sell for buyers and sellers. And so why buy a property? Let's just say, I, you know, I go through my brokerage uh, on a loan, the brokerage make points and then points comes back to me because I'm part owner, right? If I purchase through an agent within a brokerage, uh, the seller has to pay commission to the buyer's agent. I'm the buyer. I also have a partnership in the, in the brokers. So the buyer's agent gets paid, uh, brokerage gets paid, I get a cut, correct? Property management, I brought in house. Uh, initially, I try, to, I try to manage properties myself. I was kind of good at it, but when I started getting more and more units, I try to teach other people to manage properties. They were not that good, okay? And when I found a company to manage, this other company to manage my property, they were just so good, 100% occupancy all the time, a very good communication, they have very good processes to sort out tenants, right? But the thing was, I had a problem with their broker. We always butt heads on like very minor issues, and I ended up being, I had to write this guy pages of email to prove my point, and then he will revert back to you. Okay, you were right here. Let's go your way. But this is after a couple phone calls and a really long email. I'm just tired of doing that. So I gave the, uh, the property manager offer. I said, hey, why don't you come over to, to this new brokerage? Uh, here's your <laughs> pretty good transfer package, right? And I brought a main house. And then, so that was another few points, right? Because every single month, I still have to pay property management, but now I'm paying to my own company. I'm getting a cut on the back end, okay? And then on top of that, I'm like, all right, what is the next biggest expense? My next biggest expense, uh, actually the biggest expense of them all is uh, general contractors, contractors, handyman. Last year I spent multiple six figures just contracting work. And I was, I was like, wow, this is so much money. And now how can I cut that down? Uh, I found a group. I, initially it was one person. And it became two and three and four, one, two, three, four. Yeah, now it's four people in-house who are doing full-time contract work for me. And then I contract with three other teams. So whatever work we cannot handle, we outsource the work uh, to these other companies and they do the work for us. But that will save me a couple hundred thousand dollars this year, you know? So based on the, my very focus of increasing NOI and selling a stabilized property to the next investor, I built a whole ecosystem kind of around that to also increase my net income, net gains 1% at a time, right? It's like, where can I cut some money? Where can I cut some money? What is the best way to lower my expenses? Um, and I'm still working on that to this day. Dude, that's super interesting. How long did it take you to create this whole ecosystem? I've been in the industry for, you know, I've been in real estate industry for 15 years now. Uh, seriously focused on real estate about five uh, obviously really dialed it in the past two, three years. Uh, this system, I'll say, was just within the past five years. And uh, are really all your vendors it. and like team members all based in the Bay Area or are they up in Sacramento where most of your properties are? They're all in Sacramento. Yeah. I see. Is, is it hard uh, to have that kind of distance between you know, yourself as like a principal, a manager, and your group who is you know, two or three hours away from here? I fly to Sacramento every week. I'm there at least one or two days a week. Uh, not because I have to, but I feel like I need to go so that I have boots on the ground. 
and what I do every single year is that I will go on vacation for like two to three months. And then that's actually my time to test how well my entire organization is working without me uh, because I'm physically <laughs> international somewhere and I can't come back and they can't just have me come back. And that's my time to kind of test everything out. And then when I get back in the States, I'm like, all right, what do I need to fix? What do I need to edit? What do I need to change? And I, I implement those changes when I get back. So for like your property management group or your contracting team, are you like the main principal there? Or do you also have like a partner who is also boots on the ground in Sacramento watching over things when you're not there? Yeah. So every single division, there's kind of the head. All right. So for example, property management, I go to one person, deal with all the different properties. He may delegate his work to other people, but I directly communicate with only one person in that division. Okay. Um, general contract or contracting work, maintenance. I only uh, chat with one person and then media. I chat with one person, uh, bookkeeping I actually talk with two and then they're in direct communication with my CPA and so how the process work is that I communicate with these guys uh, all the time, but on a weekly basis, I will have one zoom call with all the man with the management team. And then I will have a zoom call with their individual departments with everybody involved. Okay. So on the Sunday, boom, all the management, we have a call. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, I will have a zoom call with their team and them present. Right. And so they're chatting about what they're doing and what they're going to do uh, next week. I'm kind of just listening and uh, watching the dynamics and I will chime in as needed so that they will know like this person still exists. I'm still here. Right. But then I'm not, I don't want to be very distant where I don't know what's going on within the organization. So that's why I tap into these uh, team zoom calls so that I hear from every single individual and I'm still there present. So if they feel like, there's something I need to know where they need to voice something. They would just let me know off the bat, like doing those calls. Yeah, that makes sense. And would you yeah. say your main investing strategy is to buy these multifamily assets to hold on to them or to do the force appreciation and sell to capture equity? Okay. I am more aggressive now than I was ever like as an investor. I'm not sure if like times are changing, COVID is changing, you know, I'm getting older, but initially I got into buy and hold. And then now, uh, I'm utilizing the velocity of money to grow my net worth exponentially. So just to give you an idea, I'm, I'm working. My focal point is to double my net worth every single year. And so whatever I need to do, as long as moral, ethical and logical, I'm going to do it so that I can reach that goal. And you know, in real estate, it's pretty, I mean, it's easy if you don't have much and I guess, harder as you progress. And so, you know, that, that's been my main focal point in the past couple of years. What is your thoughts on this current economic environment? You know, we have the pandemic going on. We have yeah. elections coming soon. Yeah. Um, people losing their jobs like crazy. And I think most lenders are actually more conservative. So they're going to give you worse rates, worse terms, especially on the private side, maybe not so much on the residential side. Um, yeah. It's pretty, you know, I haven't used hard money so much ever, but since the pandemic hit, I've been using hard money a lot. And it's not like, you know, how I look at it is like, all right, the rates, hard money lending rates are, you know, nine, 10%, 8% sometimes. As long as the deal is good enough, you make your money, I make my money, everybody's happy, right? And one thing about real estate, much like 
martial arts, I feel like, is that you have to be very fluid. Depends on market conditions, depends on what is happening. You have to be able to kind of look at your chess pieces, your options, and be able to adapt, right? A very rigid person would say, okay, well, uh, you know, I can get a, well, most investors, they're not gonna go purchase primary residence all the time. You just can't do that, right? It's like not legal. So they have to use uh, investor loans, 20% down, 30, 40% down. And depends on what is happening in the world, and you look at your chess pieces, you strategize on your best moves. And, you know, what I think about COVID right now and its economic climate, like most people, I believe that six to 12 months from now, there's going to be a good amount of foreclosures. Uh, people cannot pay for their properties and then it's going to hit the markets. So there will be a good opportunity to buy. And buying those properties, you buy low, you sell high, you wait for the market to recover, right? So I feel like that will be part of my holdings in the near future, but I'm still going to focus on my main bread and butter, which is multifamilies increase in OI sell, right? Because that strategy is good in multiple ways. Number one, I buy properties are positive in cash flow. So it doesn't matter what's happening during an economic crisis, you know, I will, re- I will lease out the apartments to Section 8 tenants. Who pays for Section 8 tenants? The state, right? The Section 8 tenants are in charge of 5%, if that, of the entire rental amount. So most of the Section 8 tenants will be guaranteed. And then, so positive in cash flow is number one. Number two, you get into properties that's uh, going to appreciate at least 5% a year. Now, if I'm forcing an appreciation, I can directly control how much that property will appreciate. I will have a very good idea. Does that make sense? And also the people who are buying investment properties are very different from your single family home purchasers, right? Because people who are buying single family homes, their jobs, I mean, their livelihood is probably dependent upon the jobs, probably dependent upon the market. Investors like myself, uh, we have multiple sources of income. So even if, you know, the market's not doing very well, or let's just say, you know, lose one source of income, I have seven more, like that's okay. So people who are buying these properties from me, I can still reasonably rely on them to purchase the price at which I deem, <laughs> or at which I, I value these properties at because you, know, you put multiplier on the gross income, depending on what area it's in, you put a different multiplier on that, that's how you derive the value. And so that's not so much so depending on the marketplace like the single family homes. Makes sense. So number one, it has to have cash flow. Number two, uh, it has to have be in a position where it's appreciating five percent a year, and I'm in direct control of that. So that hits number two. Number three, there needs to be a value add opportunity where I can go in, increase the value right away, and be able to sell that property. Right. So as long as it hits these three criteria, then it's golden. And so even during COVID, these multifamily uh, properties that I'm executing the strategy on, they're still very reliable up to this point. Things could change though. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It has worked very well. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I talk to a lot of investors and some of them are being very conservative right now during COVID. But like you said, they're mostly flippers. So on the back end, they're going to be selling to a residential homeowner. And like you said, if their jobs are no longer relevant here in the Bay Area, they can go live in Hawaii and work their full-time jobs, then yeah, you're probably going to suffer and they're going to dial back their strategy a little bit. But for you, you're buying a cash flowing asset. So you're ready in the clear. You can hold on to it as long as you want to. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, that sounds like a really great strategy. Um, I was wondering, why did you choose Sacramento out of all the markets that are out there? Yeah, very good question. Uh, number one, I went to school in Sacramento for a number of years, so I kind of knew the area. Uh, the first property I bought was in Sacramento because I lived there during that time. Uh, and then now I'm older. I moved to San Francisco. I live in L.A., so I live in three different cities right now, and I still chose to invest in Sacramento uh, because if you're looking at San Francisco or Los Angeles, they're what we consider mature markets, okay? Mature markets, generally, you go to these markets to park your money. If I'm 70 years old, I have a ton of money, I need to park my money somewhere, I would have gone to San Francisco and I wouldn't went to LA, right? Uh, because their economic concentration, uh, there's good concentration of capital in those places to kind of prop up the prices, even though right now COVID uh, really kind of lift the veil on that, like not so fast, right? So I chose Sacramento because the, the second rule I have for investment is that it needs to be in an area where consistently hits about 5% appreciation. Okay. And California has the highest GDP of them all, right? In the entire United States. And so you look at California, there's two major capitals, which is entertainment capital in Los Angeles and the tech capital in San Francisco. Sacramento is the capital of them both. So if one fails, Sacramento is still propped up by the other. It's going to be a very rare scenario where both fail simultaneously as Sacramento go, uh, California go bankrupt. And there's a good amount of state jobs there. It's very stable. You're not going to see 300% increase in valuation like Palo Alto, some of these places when the tech companies went in. However, it is appreciation that you can rely on, right? And I feel that Sacramento is just a very safe place where I can go in. I would know the metrics, you know, it's going to appreciate three to 8%. Depends on the area. And if I apply the force appreciation method, uh, I'm in direct control. If I try to buy in San Francisco, it's not going to cash flow. If I try to buy in Los Angeles, it's not going to cash flow. Buy in Oakland, I buy on East Bay, uh, rent control is going to stop me to death. All right. So Sacramento was still very reasonable uh, with all of the criteria I'm looking for. That's why I end up in Sacramento. Does Sacramento have any other uh, rent control ordinances besides whatever was passed for AB 1482? There's still rent control ordinances. Uh, you cannot increase rents on tenants who's been there for a year or longer to an unreasonable amount. But there's always, you know, the rent control in Sacramento is reasonable. All right. It's not like Oakland where you can just, they can just stay in your squatting your property for life. Like yeah. there's nothing you can do, but it's not like that. Sacramento is very reasonable as long as you understand the laws, understand your rights as the landlord, you know, seek proper legal counsel, you're, you're okay. Yeah. Have you ever considered investing in other markets? I have. Yeah. I'm active looking. Uh, I'm actually, I believe I'm in process of purchasing my first duplex in uh, Las Vegas. Okay. <laughs> and then now I'm just like, wait, hold on a second. This is wait it out for a little bit. And then do you think in the future you would kind of do the same thing where eventually you build out a whole little ecosystem there where you have a whole operation going in Las Vegas or wherever market you go in? Uh, it depends. Like, look, it, it took me really long time, a lot of work to build this ecosystem. Good people are really hard to find because good people, most of them belong to a circle already. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my thing is if I can continue to expand in my existing market, I would, there has to be an extraordinary opportunity for me to venture out 
because if I can make 12% Las Vegas cash on cash return, and I can make 12% cash on cash return in Sacramento, why would I want to build one in Las Vegas when I can do the same thing in Sacramento? People will say, oh, well, don't you want to diversify? Diversify why? Because there are risks, right? Because if you focus on one area, there are risks. Okay, what kind of risks are they? And you kind of start going down the line and say, well, what if this happened? Well, what if the same thing happens in a different area? You know, uh, at least Sacramento is still in California. I have direct control. Anything happens, it's an hour of flight. Boots on the ground, an hour and a half, and I'm handling the problem. And I have a lot of contacts here. There hasn't been a need for me to venture out yet. The only reason why I'm even venturing out to Las Vegas right now is because I'm there to help a friend of mine. Like he wants to start investing, so I'm going to partner up on a deal with him and I'm going to walk him through all the processes. He's going to be the boots on the ground guy over there. So that's why I'm doing that, right? There has to be an extraordinary opportunity for me to venture out to different states, but I'm always open, you know? Like having a closed mind to good opportunity is not a very intelligent thing to do. So I'm always open. I just have to be convinced to do so. That makes sense. And from your strategy, have you done any like reflection to see if you have any weaknesses or challenges that you may incur? Okay. So, you know, I reflect a lot on what are potential problems uh, that may arise in the future, what are current weaknesses. And then it comes down to uh, people. And I feel like the processes work very well, but it's very dependent on the operators to make it work. And one thing is, you know, what if someone come to, uh, have a major problem with health or a major problem with family or accident or something like that. And an entire department is kind of on hold because of the head person. And so that's one of the major things I see that I'm too dependent on people in an organization, but like with any organization, what are you going to do? Just be a lone operator. It's never going to happen, you know, unless you want to be the guy that does everything, which I'm the complete opposite of. I want to do, you know, I want to build a huge organization, I want to build a huge empire uh, and systemize everything so I don't have to do anything. But that relies a lot on people. So things that's giving me some, you know, problems in the future, like could give me problems in the future that I'm thinking solution. Uh, other problems maybe, I don't know, you know, real estate just, just like business. And I feel like laws could change, things could change. So it just depends on what happens. I'm going to look at my chess pieces and uh, figure out a solution. So like any good entrepreneur would do. I know one of the main challenges that I've personally focused or had is that I rely too much on one individual. And so like if you have a contractor that you rely on them to do all of your work and then project one, two, and three are good. And then project four, they just ghost you. You don't have any other contacts. You're, you're screwed. So I guess a way to, you know, mitigate that risk is by having multiple contacts, you know, call other people, get multiple bids. And then if someone's busy or whatever, then you can use someone else. Correct. No, no, for sure. You got to have, you know, manager, you got to have your, you know, support now for that to groom them, become a manager over time, but you got to have your backup options. Definitely agree. What do you think is your plans going forward? Are you going to focus more on the investing side or creating out these businesses? Because, you know, you do have a, legitimate property management organization. You could potentially manage 3000 units or you could have a contracting company and then charge $50,000 to do a bathroom remodel. You know, like it's, it's all in your, um, it's all your world. The world is your, in your oyster, right? So what is your plan yeah. going forward? 
Uh, it's very interesting because, yeah, you're right. There could be many directions that we could head into. Uh, my main thing is investments, you know? So now I still, one of my main focal point is increasing the OI, stabilize, sell to investor, right? That's still the main focal point, but I do elements. Uh, we do a lot of like subdivisions, um, you know, we additions, like we buy a plot of land, we maybe add a couple units. We, you know, there's many things that we do, but our thing is just investments. We invest in real estate and we grow our money and we multiply our money and that's what we do. And all these add-ons are efficient. And if I do my job correctly, which is, you know, now what I mainly do is identify the next investment property, uh, identify uh, exit strategies, and I execute on them. If I do my job efficiently, my organization is growing, my net worth is growing, the amount of projects we're doing is growing. So every single one of these uh, divisions, like property management or, or contractors, uh, they should all be growing at the same rate. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I will still be focused on you know, investment, I think my next step, the next person I'm going to groom or next division, uh, I am going to train somebody to do what I do, uh, which is identifying the proper investment, uh, identifying the proper project to proceed with and being able to execute on my behalf. And then I think I'll transition out of my current role uh, and perhaps I'll just go raise money. <laughs> like right. Maybe this is something. I, yeah. Yeah. How are you getting your leads right now? I've been in the industry for a while now. So I get off-market listings sent to me. Uh, I get pocket listings sent to me. Uh, brokers and agents are always looking for properties that meet my criteria. And, you know, one of my things, just 1% rule, uh, rent times 100 should be the purchase price uh, or less or a little bit more. Uh, appreciating market, 5%, right? And then there needs to be a value-add opportunity. And so I literally get, uh, people complain about they can't find deals. I have so many deals that come across my table every single week. That I'll probably pick more to, to submit offers on. I pass on the rest because they're not going to make me more than six figures. And I always just pass on those. But, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And there's not a shortage of them. I, I don't know where these other people are looking, but they're not looking very hard. Uh, yeah. The ones that I say they can't find any deals. I think it's just not as well networked. You know, they're, they're new. And they don't have the credibility. So people don't really send them the deals because they're like, all right, there's some guys who waste my time. And we don't even know if they can close, right? Whereas you have a portfolio, you have funds, um, and they know you can actually close on the deal if they send it to you. Yeah, you know, when you start, like, you can't expect, what are you going to go in? Like, you can try to make the same amount of returns as someone who's been in the game for more than a decade. You're not going to do that. You know, you're going to go in, just try to break even, make a little bit of money initially. Right. And then as you progress, just increase your, increase your bottom line over time. Like there's always, when you start, start off in a brand new industry, I'm talking about like the new investors, right? You can't expect to hit home run every single time. Um, however, you can expect to increase your net income every time, just increase your performance every single time. Just do a deal. Don't lose money in the first one, you know, and do a second one and a third. So, yep. And are you raising money now for your deals or are you all been doing it all from your own funds? Uh, I've raised more money recently uh, than I have ever before uh, just because 
you know, I see COVID coming. I'm like, okay, well, well maybe I need to get into some single family homes. Uh, there's going to be some good opportunities to buy these, you know, foreclosures, bankruptcies, whatever. So I am raising some money for certain deals. Uh, I'm not raising a crazy amount of money, but it depends on the property. Yeah. If I find a really good property, I'll reach out to my network and say, Hey, we're going to make 30% on this in the next six months. So once putting some money, it's like that type of deal. Awesome, man. This has been yeah. a super interesting conversation. Do you have any last tips that you'd like to give to our listeners before we finish our show today? Yeah. Who are the listeners? Are they like new investors? Have they been in the game for a while or what, what, what kind of tips are they looking for? There's a huge range of people. Um, but I would say the target, the persona of someone who's working like a full-time job and probably wow. works in the Bay area and is kind of just not sure where to go in the real, real estate investing journey. Okay. All right. If I have a full-time job, right? I actually had a full-time job once and then I walked into the office. No joke. This is nine in the morning, boom, walk in the office. The hallway just like extended in front of me, like one of those movies where the hallway just kind of like extended. My knees got weak and I started having cold sweats. No joke. Uh, and then in my mind, I'm thinking, what if, I, what if I have to work here for the rest of my life? And then I was just like, no, I don't want to do that. And then, so that day I went in the office. I'm like, I quit. They're like, what are you talking about? You quit. I'm like, I quit. <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing. I'm working on my own project. But anyways, so for the people who are working professionals right now, if you make decent amount of money and you want to transition out of that, one way to do it is to keep your job, work harder, make more money, but at the same time, start to invest into real estate. Uh, do your due diligence, but I would urge you to 100% get into real estate investments because there's nothing else like it. You know, you, you buy a, I will also suggest that you buy, get into a multifamily initially uh, because it's just, it's just so simple to do so. You know, you might buy a duplex, house hack. You guys heard of that term, house hack, right? You buy a duplex, you live on one side, you run out the other side. You might not live a glamorous life initially, but you're setting yourself, you're setting a very strong foundation for yourself. Uh, after two years, you can transition out of that property, sell it. I think up to a quarter million dollars, they're not going to be able to tax you on that, right? And then you can get into two more properties with the proceeds, one for yourself to live and then completely another investment property, something like that. But I would definitely suggest you like get your feet wet somehow. And then don't be scared. Do your homework. Don't be scared get into it and just increase your bottom line over time. And then by the time you know it, maybe five, 10, 15 years later, uh, if you're persistent enough, uh, you wouldn't have to work anymore. You know, at that point you work for fun. You know, you work because you love what you do. But real estate life, I have the ability to not work, thank God. <laughs> you know, I wake up, one of my things too, I don't have an alarm clock in the morning unless I absolutely have to and I have to make an appointment. So I don't have an alarm clock in the morning. I just wake up whenever I, my body feels like I need to wake up and I wake up and do my thing. I exercise, uh, I get on, you know, a call with Sean, uh, or, you know, whatever else I need to do during the day. But like I'm in control of my time and I'm in control of my destiny. I'm not relying upon a company, an individual for my future, you know, because people ask, well, aren't you worried about retirement? I'm like, absolutely not worried about my retirement. Every single one of the properties that owns a retirement on its own, you know? After 30 years, they're all paid off by my tenants. Uh, I still have positive cash flow. If I want to leverage off that, I can dramatically or I can increase my portfolio like five, ten fold just by leveraging off of the debt 
that was paid down by tenants. I mean, this is one, this is one thing, but yeah, take control of your own life. Uh, get into real estate investments somehow. If you guys have questions, ask Sean, you know, ask me. We're all here as resources. Like uh, one, one thing I do believe is the abundance, like having mindset of abundance, like help other people uh, pass on your knowledge. You know, someone lent me a hand when I was younger. So uh, I would love to help people who want to, you know, proceed on their journey to become financially free. Fantastic words of wisdom. Nan, thank you so much for your time. How can people get in contact with you? Cool, cool. Yeah, just find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Nan Unlimited. And then I'll slide through the DM. I try to answer every single one of my messages. Uh, but yeah, if you guys have any questions, just find me on the social media platforms at Nan Unlimited. Awesome. Well, Nan, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review to get updated when the latest episode comes out. A brief summary of this podcast can be found in the show notes at everythingrei.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks, and have a great day.